Canaan. It's all about Jesus. It's not about religion, it's about relationships. Where beginners are welcome. Where forgiveness is offered. Where hope is alive. And it's okay to not be okay. Well, good morning. Hope that you had a, a wonderful Thanksgiving and were able to gather with, with family and friends and just give thanks to God um, for all that he has blessed you with. Um, we are officially in the Christmas season, so I know some of you have been listening to, to uh, Christmas carols since Halloween, okay? That's not me. For you purists out there, you're good to go. You can start listening. It's after Thanksgiving. You can get your lights on, get that going again, so... Um, Great time. I love the Christmas season. Um, Brandon, thank you so much for the decorations, everything you got up here. It looks great um, as we have uh, come into this season. Um, this morning, we are continuing our series, Come Home for Christmas. Uh, Pastor Daniel and his family are in Nashville, um, well, in, in Smyrna, in Tennessee. Uh, as they went for Thanksgiving, they'll be traveling back, but um, we just uh, be praying for them for traveling mercies as they travel. Uh, but we are starting, we are continuing our series, Come Home for Christmas, and uh, we're going to be reading from Matthew 2. Uh, verses 1 through 12. So if you'd go ahead and get your uh, um, Bible and or on your device, however, whatever you have, and get that ready to go, and we'll be ready for that. Uh, last week, Daniel talked about there being plenty at Christmas, and uh, that this points to the lack of satisfaction, actually, that comes through possessions, and that real satisfaction only comes through Christ, and that that came with, with the birth of Jesus on, on that Christmas morning. Um, well, you, um, you know that at Christmas, there's a big focus on presents and, and receiving. That's just a, a part of Christmas. Uh, I know that uh, when we, we've got some videos of some early Christmases, and when Anna was about, she's about three or four, um, she's opening a present, and she says, just what I always wanted. What is it? <laughs> It was hilarious. It was great. She said it so much better. Uh, but we love playing that video over and over. Just the excitement, though, of opening a present and, and just being a part of that. We, we love that. And that is a huge part of, of Christmas. Um, but, you know, as we get older, uh, we begin to realize that giving is, is so important. And just the experience of being able to give and uh, uh, to be a part of that. So that's gonna be kind of our, our focus this morning of where we're gonna go. Uh, this passage in Matthew chapter two focuses on the visit of the wise men, okay? A passage of scripture that it, if you've not read that before, um, you certainly probably know the, know the story from Christmas carols or hearing other stories around Christmas uh, that you know that these wise men came from the east to um, see Jesus at his birth. Um, this is a neat story, an account of what happened when Jesus was born. But what I want to do, I want to start off this morning uh, to have a little quiz, okay? Uh, because we are dealing with um, some, some inaccuracies maybe in our culture. And uh, so we want to clear up some of those and to also just check our knowledge of the birth of Jesus, okay? So little quiz, here we go. Um, first question. How many magi visit Christ after his birth according to the Bible? Is it an undeclosed number? Is it one? Is it three? Is it none? Okay, A, B, C, or D, the answer is? 
Answer is A, very good. It is an undisclosed number. Um, it was actually, it, the, the term three wise men came because three gifts are brought and therefore um, it kind of just picked up that there were, were three wise men. Okay, number two, where is Jesus when the Magi come to visit him? A, in a house, B, in a temple, C, in a manger, D, in a womb. The answer is A, a he is in a house. Um, sorry if you have a nativity set, it's, you know, with the wise men there with the shepherds, it is totally unbiblical. You need to purge those from your house. Get them out of there. <laughs> just kidding. The wise men did come, but they just weren't there at the birth. It's okay. You can leave that nativity set up. You're, you're still good. All right, number three. Need to keep going. All right, number three. The Magi ask Herod where Christ is to be born. Herod summons his priests and scribes who know the location of birth because of the prophecy of this man. Is it A, Jonah, B, Micah, C, Amos, D, Joel? Answer is B. Very good. It is Micah, okay? And number four, our last one. Herod's slaughter of the children two and under, according to Matthew, fulfills the prophecy uttered by what man? Was this Micah A, B, Joel, C, Jonah, or D, Jeremiah? Answer is D, it is Jeremiah. Not as loud on those last two. It's okay. I get it. Okay. All right. So we are now um, going to go ahead and, and read our passage of Scripture this morning. Uh, so would you go ahead and stand with me for the public reading of God's Word? We're at Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. It says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose before them until it had come to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Would you pray with me? Holy God, as we have gathered this morning as the body of Christ, the church, we give you praise. We have sung these, these songs to you, including a, a Christmas carol. As we come into this Christmas season, just giving you glory and praise for who you are and what you have done. God, we rejoice in the birth of your son as it was, he was God in the flesh that came to bring us salvation, 
and life and joy and freedom from sin and death. So Lord, we rejoice in you, we praise you. And God, I pray as we, we focus in on this, this account of, of, a, of a true story of what happened long ago, over 2,000 years ago, God, just give us understanding and insight. Help us to learn and to grow and to apply your word to our life. Lord, I pray that I get out of the way and that you just speak through your word and may you be honored and worshiped and glorified. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. All right, uh, this account of the wise men coming to see Jesus, whoa, that was a lot heavier than I thought it was gonna be. Um, excuse me. Um, this account of the wise men coming to see Jesus, worship him and bring gifts is a beautiful picture of what giving is to look like. So I wanna take a little time this morning and, and just go through this account and, and see what is special here and what we can learn and apply to our lives regarding giving, okay? Because that's gonna be our focus of where we are. In, in verses one and two, uh, we see that, that after Jesus was born, some wise men arrived from the east. Now, the text does not give us an exact location of where they're from. We just know they're from the east, okay? Um, it could have been the, uh, the Chaldeans, could have been the Babylonians, could have been from Persia, could have been farther east, all the way over to Eastern Asia. We really have no idea, okay? We know they've traveled and uh, that they saw a star that led them the direction they were going. We also know from this beginning that, that Herod is king, okay? Herod is king. Daniel talked a, a lot about this last week. This is Herod the Great, known for building great buildings and structures in, in Jerusalem. And uh, he was also very paranoid and very cruel. It, it was not anything for, for Herod to, to take out family members. And when I say take out, I mean eliminate them, kill them, if he felt threatened or his reign was threatened. Okay, if he perceived that, he was paranoid of that, he just, he would eliminate them. That was not a problem for him. Um, these wise men are coming from, from the east and they arrive looking for one who has been born king of the Jews. Now, think you would agree with me that it stands to reason if they, if they come to Judea, all right, and they, they're coming this direction because the star is bringing them this way, therefore, if they're looking for a king that is born, they're gonna go to the palace, okay? They're gonna go where the king is and to, to worship this king. They're gonna go to the largest city, go to the palace of the king. Makes sense? So they go to where King Herod is, who was known as, quote, king of the Jews, they give a little more clarity on how they came to be there. They said they saw a star when it rose and that they have come to worship a newborn baby, all right? And this baby is a king. Well, you know, sometimes we, we hear these stories over and over and we can, can miss the wonder in the details of that. So, so I want you to think about this. There were several developments and things had to take place and had to happen for the wise men to be there. They didn't just show up, okay? There's things that had to happen. Um, these men need to be astronomers, okay? And to recognize, you know, that there, there's a star in the sky, there's something different. It would need to be consistently in the sky, this star, 
okay? We need to be consistently there so they can follow it. If it was there and then it's gone, okay, then they don't have anything to follow. So this, this star would have to be consistently in the sky, and it would need to be clear to them, all right? They would have clarity of, we need to pack up, and we need to travel west and follow that star, Okay? That just, you don't just get up in the morning and, and wives, your husband says, hey, get up, we've got to, we're gonna go pack your things, we're following that star, and you're gonna leave, all right? You'd be like, what, what are we doing? Okay, so that, that's just, it's just not normal, all right? They would have to have some knowledge of the Hebrew faith and of who God, the great I am is, okay? Because they are coming to worship this king. They would have had, some revelation from God, some understanding of the scriptures through what would have been God's supernatural work, the spirit of God speaking to them, moving, revealing to them, this is a star, you need to follow this, the king is born, okay? Even if they had access to the scriptures and things that are there, to know we need to, to, to pack up and follow this, this is the, what this is, this had to be the work of God, okay? So God's supernaturally working in their lives, now, as far as the star is concerned in Scripture, there are not a lot of prophetic references to a star in the Old Testament. We see one in Numbers 24, okay? This is where Balak, okay, the king of Moab, is trying to get Balaam to curse the Israelites. Israelites had come out of Egypt. They're moving across the land. King, king Balak of Moab sees them coming and wants Balaam, who, who lives in this area, to come and curse these Israelites, Okay, so, so Balak asked him, ask, ask Balaam, Balak asked Balaam to do that. Balaam inquires of God. God says, no, don't do it. These are my people. Um, do not curse them. Well, Balak comes again to, Balaam tells that to Balak, say, I can't do it, sorry. Balak comes again, money's involved. You got, you got fame and, and Balaam says, okay, I'll go. So he goes. All right, and he's on his way, and he's riding a donkey, and this is that story. If you haven't ever read this story, you need to look it up. It is awesome. He's going, and all of a sudden, the donkey sees an angel ahead of him with a sword ready to slice down Balaam, okay? Now, Balaam can't see the, the angel, but God allows the donkey to see. So the donkey starts resisting, fighting Balaam. Balaam starts hitting him. They start running around. He slams Balaam up against the wall, hurts his foot, falls down and just lays down under, under Balaam and Balaam starts hitting him. Well, then God allows the donkey to speak. And, and he says, the donkey says, why did you beat me three times? Okay, now, what's hilarious in the story is that not just that that happened, but that Balaam then, then responds with, with um, a, a response to, to him, to, to the question, who, you know, who's gonna talk to a donkey? Even the donkey's speaking to you, you're gonna be so freaked out. Balaam's not, he just carries on a conversation. It was pretty funny. So in Balaam's eyes are then open and he sees the angel, he sees the sword and he realizes I've messed up, I've sinned, I did not obey God. But God shows him grace, okay? And Balaam goes on to bless the Israelites instead of cursing them. And then in Numbers 24, at the end of this account, um, Balaam gives a, a what's called a, a discourse, okay? Um, he, he, an, an oracle. And you see this in Numbers 24, uh, verses, starting at verse 15. It says this, and he took up his discourse and said, the oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, the oracle of the man whose eye is opened, the oracle of him who hears the words of God 
and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down with his eyes uncovered. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down the sons of Sheth. So in this, we, we, this is seen as a prophetic telling of Christ's coming when the star would rise. Now, perhaps these men that are coming from the east had read this account and, and knew this about the star, but either way, you have God's revelation giving understanding in scripture and that, that this applies to one born in Judea. Okay, it could have been God just sovereignly speaking to them in another way, but either way, these wise men have come following a star to this location looking for a newborn baby and a king. Now, they have come not only just to see him, we see this in verse two, they've come not only to see him, but to worship him. They plainly said that. This is why we are here. They are wise, they are learned men, they have traveled long distances to humble themselves before one who is greater than them. Because if you're gonna worship someone, you recognize them, they are greater than you, okay? And so that, this is why, why they have come. Uh, one who is worthy of being bowed to. Now, if you also notice in, in verse two that when, when in, if I come back here, um, it says, where he has been, where he who has been born king of the Jews, for we saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. Did you catch that? We saw his star when it rose. It wasn't just a star that appeared. It was his star. Because we're not just talking about the king of the Jews. Even though maybe that's, that's the perspective that the, these wise men had at this time, that this was the king of the Jews and they understood that. We see the big picture. Not just was this little baby the king of the Jews. This was the king of kings. This was the Lord of Lords. This was the one who was God in the flesh who had come to bring salvation, to take away pain, suffering, to bring peace, to die on a cross for the sins of the world. That everything that would separate you from God would be put on him and you would have salvation and life by trusting in him as Lord. That is who the wise men were coming to worship and to bow before. So they come. And then in verse three, we see this, this, this conversation continues. When, when Herod heard about this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where Christ was to be born. All right, now the dichotomy that we see here is, is amazing, okay? Stay with me. We have an unknown number of men coming from the east and perhaps others with them, a traveling group. They've traveled a long distance, okay? Not knowing exactly where they're going, seeking to worship one that they do not know and they have not seen, okay? That's what we have coming. Here we have Herod being the ruling puppet king for the Romans, hears that they are here, 
And the questions they have, and, and, and he has no idea really what they're talking about. He's like, oh, I gotta, I gotta get more information here. Uh, he is disturbed. He is upset. In fact, when it, when it says there in the verses that, that he was troubled in verse three, Okay, that he when it says he was troubled, that actually means that he was he was disturbed, he was he was upset, he was shaking. It means he was so agitated that he was shaking. Okay, he wasn't just like, oh, that kind of bothers me. He was physically upset and it could be seen. He felt threatened. He was paranoid by the thought of a child being born who was referred to as King of the Jews, thus taking possibly taking his title. It says all of Jerusalem was troubled also. Now, now, obviously, this does not mean every single person, but it brings out that most of the city, at least the leadership, was not seeking God, and they were, were troubled by what this could mean. Could this mean trouble with Rome? Could it mean their positions could be affected uh, by this birth? The status quo could be disrupted here. This is not good. What, what's, gonna, what's going on? What's going to take place here? So, Completely different responses and, and attitude compared to those who have come to give gifts and to worship, okay? We see completely different, different viewpoints here and attitudes. Not to mention Herod and others here in Jerusalem, they have complete access to the scriptures. They have, they have, they have it right there. These wise men, we, we, we think maybe they have, have read something, we don't know. That has not been revealed to us. We know God has given some revelation to them, but we don't know what they have. We know they're willing to travel to be here. Okay, Herod checks with the scribes and priests regarding the prophecy, and he finds, yes, there is a prophecy that was spoken by the prophet Micah regarding a ruler that is to come to Bethlehem. Verse five, they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it was written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. This prophecy focuses on a small village, okay, called Bethlehem. Bethlehem was about six miles south of Jerusalem. Judah is the, the kingly line that God had established. And so all of the kings in the Old Testament come from the line of Judah. And so the Messiah is going to come from this line. Uh, this prophecy that we see here points to the authority and reign of a king who is to come. Bethlehem was the city of David, David being the most prominent king from the Old Testament. And, and this child is coming from, from Bethlehem. Now this is, this is huge. This is big. This is not just a little thing here. This is prophecy that was written 400 years ago, and these wise men come and say, hey, we, we've come to see this child. Is this supposed to happen? Herod talks to the scribes. The, the priests said, yes, yes, it's supposed to happen in Bethlehem. So this should be a huge thing. This is possibly the Messiah. 400 years we've been waiting, and he's here. So with something so big, what kind of response in the text do you see from the scribes and priests? You look there, what do you see? They say he's supposed to be here, and then you see nothing. You don't see anything. Did they wonder? Did they celebrate? Did they talk? Hey, is this possible? Is this happening? It's Bethlehem. It's six miles south. Let's go. Let's, let's go down and see. Is, is this the Messiah? No, you don't see anything. You see nothing. 
The Messiah has come. The prophecy has been fulfilled. And they are content to focus on themselves and to do business as usual. Their position, their authority, keeping what they have, they are unwilling to give. They are unwilling to go. They are focusing on what is most important to them, and that is themselves. What an opportunity that they missed. And Herod, you know, Daniel went into last week what he is planning and where that is going. These wise men have gotten themselves in the midst of political scheming and intrigue, don't even know what's going on. Herod, threatened by this little baby, wants him eliminated, and so he lies. Herod, Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I may come and worship him. Herod does this secretly, showing his deception and having other motives in mind, desiring to destroy the child and not worship him. His intentions were the exact opposite of what these men from the east were wanting to do. We know from verse 12 that the wise men probably did not know what, what was happening here because God, God speaks to the travelers and, and tell them, tells them to go a different route. Don't go back to Herod. Okay, so, so they probably didn't, didn't have a, a, an, a really reality of what was happening. I'm sure when they were in there, it had to be uncomfortable. Uh, you know when you're around somebody that's being deceitful, you, can, you just kind of sometimes get that uneasy feeling. Probably was some of that. It was kind of probably not the most joyous place in, in the palace. Um, but yet God gives clarity to them and tells them, do not go back that way. However, at this time, they are focused. They have one purpose. They want to find that baby. They want to worship him. So why they came here, they're like, okay, then, then we need to go. Um, you, but you can't help as you go through this text to continue to contrast Herod and the religious leaders with these wise men longing to see the Christ child. We read this text, okay, as these, these wise men are going to Bethlehem. We read it knowing what's gonna happen in Bethlehem. And again, Daniel talked about that last week. Not too long from, from the, in the next few days, every single male child under the age of two in this village of Bethlehem will be slaughtered. They will die. There will be great weeping and distress in this town of Bethlehem. These men did not know what was to come. They were intent on finding the baby and honoring God. So we finally see this, though, in verses 9 and 10. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Now here we see God working again, sovereignly and miraculously. The star which had guided them to Judah, okay? Remember, they're coming from the east. We don't know how far. It could have been far east. We know it was, a, it was a distance. They had to travel, so they're coming from the east. They see this star, and they're following it. So it's, it's in the sky. We're moving. We're moving west, okay? We're heading west. We're going. So they follow it, and they, they, they know they, somehow they know they're supposed to go to Judea. 
okay? Not sure how that happened through God, again, God's revelation, through, through God's word. They, they get to Judea, they go to Jerusalem, go to the main city, the largest city. They go there, they go to the king. They inquire, where is this child? How do we find him? They're informed, hey, you gotta go to Bethlehem. So they're leaving Jerusalem, okay? They're leaving Jerusalem, and notice what it says here. The star goes before them, okay? So they, they, they come out of Jerusalem and the star moves, all right? Around Christmas time, we always watch a movie, I think it's called The Nativity. Maybe some of you guys watch it. We watch it every year. It's, it's pretty biblically solid for the most part. Again, I think the wise men show up at the, at the, at the manger and everything. Um, in fact, they do show up at the manger, okay? But... The, the thing of the nativity, in the nativity, it, it depicts the star as there were like three stars that, that all lined up at the same time. They made, I think they were planets, and they all lined up at the same time, and when they did, it was, it was bright. And so these, these wise men in the, in the east saw that coming together, and, and they, they recognized this to be when, when Christ was born, and so they, they traveled. God may have used something like that. He may have brought planets together. Again, it would have been God in his sovereignty of how he works and how he moves, everything that that would happen. He may have just put a star in the sky. Either way, it's all God working in that. But what happens here, okay? They come out of Jerusalem and they see the star and it moves. Now, we're not just talking about yeah, you come out and the earth rotates and the stars move across the sky and, and you, you see that happening because we're revolving around the sun and the earth is rotating and all that happening. No, we're talking, they come out and they see it move. It's literally moving and it moves over Bethlehem, okay? So not just, it's not just in Judea, it's not just in Jerusalem, it's, it's not just letting there, but now it's over Bethlehem and it actually shines down on one house. That's crazy. Think about that. It wasn't just way up there. It moved and it was enough where like, okay, there's, there's the house, there's a star and it's shining right there and we know exactly what should, no, not that house, this house because that's where it's shining. That's God. And it says, what was their response? They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. They're celebrating. They haven't seen the baby yet. They haven't been there. They're not there yet. They haven't given him anything. And they're celebrating. They're rejoicing because God is working. He said, here, this is for you. Come here to this house. They're celebrating. Their attitudes, their hearts, they're rejoicing. They're ready to give. So they get to the house. They go in. And there, there is Mary and Jesus and these wise men kneel before King Jesus and worship. They have attitudes of humility, adoration, and praise shown also in their actions of giving. They give Jesus their gold, their frankincense, and myrrh. What a wonderful moment of generosity and reverence as they, as they give this to him. But please notice, it was not just that they brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh. All through this depiction, from the very beginning, when we know they travel from the east, they have had an unselfish desire to come before Jesus and just give, to worship. The, the gifts, the gold, the frankincense, and myrrh is just a reflection of what is in their hearts and what they are expressing to this child and to God. God, this is what God intends giving to be. 
In 2 Corinthians 9, Verse 11, that's where they had entered the house and gone. Sorry, I didn't bring that up. Uh, 2 Corinthians 9, verse 6. It says, the point is this. This is Paul speaking to the church in Corinth. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So you see, as you give willingly and, and, and honoring God, then, then he blesses with all sufficiency and grace to you. There is purpose that God has for us in giving. We benefit from giving. We see that with the wise men who traveled a long distance. Um, they gave of their possessions, they humbled themselves, they celebrated. It was not about them. It was about the one who, was, who they were going to bring this gift to and to worship. And to achieve this purpose, our hearts and attitudes have to be in line with what God desires. That's the point here. It's not just about giving but it's, it's the attitude of giving and the love that is in our hearts. And it's God's supernatural work within us. <coughs> Excuse me. And it's not just about things or possessions. It's relationships. It's giving yourselves to someone. Um, author and speaker Gary Chapman came out with a book a few years back called The Five Love Languages. How to Express Heartfelt Commitment to Your Mate. You may have, have heard of this book before, okay? It focuses on how individuals, especially here in this book, it's focusing on husbands and wives, but it doesn't have to be husbands and wives, how husbands and wives feel love. It's a great book. If you've never read it, encourage it, especially for, for um, those who are married. Um, encourage you to get this. Now, in, in this book, there are five general love languages mentioned, okay? One is receiving gifts. Two is quality time acts of service, words of affirmation, and physical touch, okay? Those are the five love languages he focuses on. Now, receiving gifts, it's receiving a heartfelt gift is what makes someone feel most loved. So for, for this person, when they receive gifts from, from someone else, like a husband receiving gifts from a wife, that's when he feels loved is when he receives gifts, Next is quality time. It's giving the other person your undivided attention. So here, just, just having quality time with someone makes you feel loved and, and, and encouraged. Acts of service. Here, actions speak louder than words. Doing things for people. Cleaning the house, doing dishes may be acts of service that, that, that someone like the, 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 the wife or the husband may like in their process. Whoever normally does that, then the other one does it for them, and they, they feel loved through that. Didn't say that it's always wives doing the dishes or vacuuming. Just letting you know, I didn't say that. Okay, words of affirmation. Where words are used to affirm other people. Okay, here words are spoken that are very encouraging and affirming to, to the person. And finally, the fifth one, physical touch. This person feels loved through um, appropriate physical touch. Now notice something here on all five of these. 
something all five of these have in common is giving. It's not just the one where, where gifts are given, okay? Um, if, if there's quality time, then a person has to, to give of their time to spend quality time with the other person. If you are serving someone, you have to go and, and give, give of that time and actually serve them. Uh, you choose words to, to, to give that are lifting and affirming if you are using words of affirmation. And if you're doing physical touch, then you are choosing to, to embrace and show affection and to love. God has created us to give. It is a part of life. This is how God has created us. And when we focus on ourselves and pull away, we miss out on so much that God has desired for us Okay, and what he intends for us. And we, we see this throughout scripture. In, in Romans 1, I'm sorry, Psalms 112, it says, it is well with the man who deals generously and lends, who conducts his affairs with justice. It is well. When you give and you are generous, it is well with you. Proverbs 11, a generous person will be prosperous. The one who gives others plenty of water will himself be given plenty. So, when you are generous, you actually prosper more than if you try to hold it yourself and keep it, keep it, and I will prosper this way. God says you will prosper when you are generous. Acts 20, in all, th in all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. More blessed to give. We are blessed through giving more than if we receive from others. In Hebrews 13, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. When we give, when we sacrifice and give to others and we have an attitude that is honoring to God, we are pleasing our Lord. Okay. This is what God has shown us. It is plain in scripture, we need to give. We see the example of these wise men and, and what, they, what they endured, what they went through. So let me end this by giving you five reasons to begin a tradition of grieving, of giving. Five reasons, <coughs> excuse me, to have a tradition of giving. The first four come from a medical organization website that I looked up. This is because, okay, the medical community Science has found and recognized the benefits of giving. But as we've already seen, be sure you note this, okay, that it's not just giving that affects us. It's, it's the attitude of your heart because you can be very self-centered in your giving and do it from your flesh and it not be honoring to God and then these benefits that we have just read through scripture Okay, they are not gonna apply and neither are these that we, we are gonna focus on here. But in Christ, in serving our Lord, we benefit as we are humbled before him. Okay, so five benefits to have a, a, a tradition of giving. Number one, giving makes you feel happy. This is scientifically proven. Your brain's pleasure circuits are stimulated by acts of charity and release good feeling chemicals such as endorphins, which give you a sense of euphoria and oxytocin, which promotes tranquility and inner peace. Now, you just feel better when you give. Now, remember, okay, as we go through this, God created us this way to be affected by giving. 
okay? Science has just figured out what God has already done, all right? Number two, giving is good for your health. Stress is the catalyst for many known health issues. Giving has been proven to decrease blood pressure and reduce stress. This reduction promotes longer life and better health. For so, the, so those of you here that are dealing with high blood pressure, you need to give more. There we go, okay? Just lays it out. Number three, giving promotes social connection. Studies show that when you give to others, your generosity is often continued down the line to someone else or returned to you. This strengthens our ties to each other. So we build relationship and community. Number four, giving is contagious. When one person gives, it inspires others to do the same. And number five, this one was not on the website, but I included it as number five. God commands it. It glorifies him, and we worship him through giving. It is God that has created us to be in relationship with others and to give. He created us to be happy, to have better health, to have better social connection through giving. And God is glorified when we are generous and have an attitude of love as he does. This Christmas season, I encourage you to give out of love for others and honor him. The wise men came searching to find, to worship and give gifts to Jesus. That's why they came. Jesus, okay, this is kind of ironic. They came to find him when he was actually the greatest gift ever given. If you do not have a relationship with Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you have never surrendered to him, if you were living for yourself in the flesh, have never made Jesus Lord of your life, if that, that calling has never been on you, if God is working in your life right now, I encourage you to respond to him, surrender to Jesus, and trust him as Lord. For in him there is salvation, there is hope, there is life. There is freedom from pain and suffering. Yes, you'll still go through things here. But compared to going through those things, those struggles without Jesus, compared to going through them with Jesus, it's 180 degrees. Because he does not leave us, he does not abandon us, he holds us, he died for us, he loves us. He was the precious gift that was given. These wise men recognized we've got to go and they bowed on their knees before him. They worshiped the son of God. May we do the same. Would you pray with me? God, we give you praise this morning. We worship you. We thank you for this account of, of what happened when Jesus was born. How in your perfection, in your sovereignty, you chose to let this group of men know from the east so that they would travel and be here around the time that your son was born. They could come in and see him with their mother, with Jesus' mother Mary, and just come in and worship him. And what a moment that was. Just to imagine them coming in and, and there's Mary holding Jesus. And they come in and they bow before him. They don't just give him gifts, but they worship and they glorify him and they give him praise. I thank you for, for just how you, your revelation to these, these men to let them know and to be a part of this, this great, wonderful birth. 
Lord, we thank you. And so now I pray that you would work in any hearts here that do not know you as Lord, that they would surrender to you and trust you, that this Christmas would be totally different from any they've ever had because this one, they would know Jesus as Lord. They would know that this child that they're singing about and celebrating, they actually have a relationship with and that you would be glorified. And for the rest of us, God, that know you as Lord, Lord, burn again this desire to, to give, to enjoy giving, and to know that in giving, we are, are sharing who you are in our lives and to love others and to give freely. May you be worshiped. In Jesus' name I pray.